Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into Seminole Wrap here on the Tomahawk Nation. I'm your host, Brian Pellerin, with John Marchant and Juan Montalvo. Another tough week, guys, out here for Florida State Nation. Uh, this week, 35-14 in, in what has seemingly turned into a, a somehow a, a dominant win for Wake Forest. I don't want to spend too much time on it as we're a couple of times, a couple of days now down the road, but um, hard to imagine when you look at this team uh, taking a 35-14 loss at Wake Forest in a game that they seemingly had to have to kind of build up this season. Uh, they almost seem to be getting worse. Juan, did you, what exactly did, did you expect from this team? And um, what did you take away from Saturday? Well, I think the, the, the biggest frustration that I particularly had was that, you know, we, we expected them to come out of the, the Jacksonville State week and, you know, not do what they did. Um, I mean, they, they came out of a very obviously emotional win versus Notre Dame and then a very much a letdown spot against Jacksonville State. And then all of a sudden we were expecting, okay, this team has the potential. They have the, the, the talent to bounce back. We didn't really know what this team is or what it was going to be after a very high Notre Dame and a very low Jacksonville State. And it's it's been very frustrating to see the you know the highs and lows in these last three weeks, and then for them to get blown out by Wake Forest, it's just sort of a like what what's going on here? Like what are we? What what can we trust from the coaching staff? What can we expect them to do moving forward? Where do we think this program is? Sort of moment. Like we we we've unfortunately had to. You know, I mean, I, I, I used to joke typically about the fact that, like, every time that there is something poor that happens, there's an existential crisis about it. But, no, we're at a point where we need to have an existential crisis. Like, what is exactly the issues that are plaguing this program? Why are these problems continuing? Um, you had, you had uh, Coach Norvell and you had Coach Dillingham today, uh, today being Tuesday. We're recording on Tuesday evening. Um, they they went back to back and basically didn't really tell us anything other than that Dillingham and and um, and Coach Norvell are both involved in play calling and does that really tell us anything? I mean, do we really have we learned much of anything, John? What do you think? Um, I I agree with pretty much everything you said. I think I guess for me, if if that tackle is made at the end of the Jacksonville state game, it feels like the program would be a completely different place. Um, you know, yeah, well, you, you you're, well, right, right. And you know, yeah, we have the, the coaches we don't think are being truthful to us about, about the coverage and, and the issues like that. The even calling that kind of coverage in the end game uh, situation is not okay. It's enough to get, almost any defensive coordinator fired. Um, I guess for me, though, is if that tackle is made, it just feels like Florida State would be in a very different place than what it is now. You're competitive against Notre Dame. You had a loss that you just can't have. Um, whatever reason or excuse you could give, it's just not acceptable. 
And then, yeah, the game against Wake Forest, so you weren't really competitive. Um, you had way too many mistakes. I, I guess what's so disappointing is that they do, like Brian had said, they're going backwards on the field. As the season goes on, it's the coaching is becoming more and more of an issue. And I think that's a real problem for it to kind of just spring out of the Jacksonville State game, kind of caught us all unawares a little bit. Um, and now the program's in a place where there's just so many questions. Um, they come out against Wake Forest. They A lot of times they didn't look really interested, especially in the secondary. You had to question the effort levels against Jacksonville State. Um, the offense doesn't have any kind of identity. The, all the mis- self-inflicted mistakes are just are still there. Or even getting worse. I mean, Florida State had six turnovers against Wake Forest. Um, I, I think your question, where do you go from here, is a great one because I have, I have absolutely no idea. Uh, Brian, what do you well, think? Well, let me ask you this one. So if we're talking where they go from here, obviously we both, you both just pointed out that Jacksonville State, if you make a tackle, it's probably a different season. Uh, I almost want to go back to, and, and it's almost, I don't want to make it sound like a hot take, but back to the Notre Dame game, when you see what the plan clearly was going into that game, where up until his injury or helmet popping off or whatever it was, Jordan Travis took every snap. Clearly the plan was this is Jordan Travis's team. I don't think there was a plan to play McKenzie Milton from what we saw for so long. I almost wonder if that, change what they plan to do offensively and now they're in a middle spot where they just don't know what they're doing I mean when you look at what they put on the field Saturday when when Perry and I kind of talked about this game last week I kind of expected okay they've got Milton there were clear areas you know they they kind of set the depth chart where Milton's going to be the starter they took the ore out of the way and I felt like there were areas they could clearly exploit in Wake Forest on the outside on the edge running the ball maybe quick underneath passes even though your receivers aren't that great but you turned in one for six on third down. You had 16 first downs all game. You got almost doubled up in time of possession. I don't really see anything that speaks to a form of identity. And I almost wonder if in that moment, they kind of were like, well, maybe Milton gives us the best chance and then went away from what we kind of expected the whole season. That's the, that's the real question for me is, like you said, I mean, the Notre Dame game, basically it was – Jordan Travis the entire way until his helmet literally fell off. And then uh, Mackenzie Milton came in for two drives and, you know, you can go back and read what we wrote on Tomahawk Nation about that. Like he, uh, uh, he, he was, you know, not performing all that well. I mean, even given the expectations of the, of the opponent um, and Mackenzie Milton came in and, uh, you know, did quite well. So, the frustration, I think, there's a, there's a lot of questions about why they're continuing to persist with Mackenzie Milton despite not having success, obviously, against Jacksonville State. And then we came into the Wake Forest game and we saw sort of a rotation of quarterbacks and not a lot of success in doing so. Whereas, you know, we saw, I think, and, and Brian, you can probably get the, the stats on this, but like Jay Sean Corbin and Treshawn Ward were both averaging, I believe, over four or five yards a carry. And they didn't continue to exploit that. They didn't continue to use Jordan Travis's legs in conjunction with those two running backs who were, you know, very good. 
Creation Award is, is, is one guy who has been a extremely positive surprise, not to downplay the play of, of Jason Corbin, who has really come back and shown explosiveness after we didn't expect that, given his injury history back at Texas A&M. But you know that the best pieces of your offense have been Jayshon Corbin, Trayshon Ward. You're going to follow those things. It, you know, if, if one would expect to follow what the coaches would say about giving the playmakers plays in space, those two guys did not get fed the ball enough against Wake Forest. So, John, what do you think on that? Um, I, I think you're right. I, I... A couple of weeks ago, I thought that, you know, maybe after the Jacksonville State game that there might have been an issue that Florida State's receivers were not good enough to because you brought in McKenzie Milton to help develop that pass game to take it to the next level. You know, the offense last year with Jordan Travis uh, was explosive on the ground, but it was heavy, uh, a run based attack. And I feel like the shortcomings of the receivers and also the offensive line is really limiting the benefit that you may be expected to get from Milton. Um, and against Wake Forest, what we saw, it, it, we saw a little bit against Jacksonville State as well. But Wake Forest really proved that you could man up against Florida State's receivers across the board and force Milton into less than ideal situations that ended up causing turnovers. I believe at the end of the Wake Forest game, he, he turned over, I think, four times total and three times, uh, three plays in a row. Um, so yeah, uh, Juan, what do you think? I mean, we're talking about someone with a national championship pedigree here uh, in Mackenzie Milton, and he clearly, after a very good showing in the Notre Dame game, and I'm, I'm obviously being a little bit facetious about the uh, national championship part of it, but no, in all seriousness, like, you're, you're right, John. Like, he, he was very good against Notre Dame, and then he came in to these last two games – and wasn't able to replicate any of the sort of success he had in the two drives he had against Notre Dame. And it really, the, the, the way that the way that the, the, the ball was distributed did not feature the playmakers. And I think this is sort of where we want to, where, where I think we should really transition from, you know, the Mackenzie Milton, Jordan Travis type conversation to the, are the coaches putting them in the best uh, position to succeed sort of part of the conversation um, where, you know, Mackenzie Milton was, you know, trying to get the ball into the hands of playmakers, but I'm, and I'm going to keep going back to this. Mike Norvell always talked about get the balls in the hands of playmakers. The two playmakers that we've seen so far this year are not receivers. I mean, there's not a, receiver that you can point to that is being who, who's the star receiver i mean uh, i'm gonna ask each of you guys john <laughs> ryan who is the star receiver this year i flatly don't think there is one i you know, to go first i mean just uh, looking Keyshawn helton one for 12 last week against wake forest the first thing that comes to mind against jacksonville state is the terrible drop i mean Right. No one on the team had more than three catches, and one of them's a running back. I mean, there's just – I don't see anything that resembles remotely good. John, you, do you see anybody? No, there's no star. But for me, I'm at the place where it's Malik McLean. I'd rather I'd rather Florida State try to develop and bet on on potential than, than any guy that they have right now. Yeah, and I'm completely with you. I mean, I think 
Malik McLean is one of the few receivers that's actually shown something that you can continue to carry forward with this offense. The problem is you have two playmakers that have shown what Norvell and Dillingham have talked about ad nauseum over the years. And, you know, even in, even in their recent press conferences um, that they, they want to get the playmakers in space. And those two guys are Jay Sean Corbin and Trey Sean Ward and those guys did not get the ball enough against either Wake Forest or Jacksonville State. So, I mean, I, I'm going to throw it back to you, John, here. Um, what do they need to do, or what do they need to do to get those guys the ball? Um, that's a great question. I, I think this coaching staff needs to make a decision. I don't think that the offense they want to run or that they've been trying to run with Milton is there. They just don't have the players to run it. So they either need to, if Trav, if Jordan Travis is healthy, go back to more of the offense that they had last year. You could run a lot of split back stuff with them. Norva likes to do that stuff. You could put Travis Ward and Corbin in the same backfield at the same time. Uh, Norvell's offense is are good at nothing if not pulling offensive linemen, uh, challenging defenders, gap uh, eye discipline, moving gaps around, uh, creating explosive plays outside. Uh, his offenses have been excellent at that, all the way back to Memphis. Why not run something like that? And if you're not going to do that, or if, you know, if Travis isn't healthy, I, first of all, I would do it with – I would try it with Chubba Purdy instead of Milton. Um, but – if you, for some reason, don't want to run that kind of run-heavy offense similar to what you ran last year, I would move forward with Purdy at quarterback with the younger receivers. Try to build for the future. I don't think what you're doing now is working, and I don't think you can continue to try to just force it. Yeah, and I, and I think to your point, to go into that offense, I mean, this, again, could be gamesmanship from Norvell like we saw last week with the removal of the ore from the – from the depth chart and then they mix it together anyway. But when you're looking at a situation this weekend where you might not have Jordan Travis um, and he said today that you're looking at Purdy being the next guy in, I don't know if that means actually playing or just being the backup there, but I feel like at this point, anything is really worth a chance or worth, worth a shot because you just got absolutely nothing going. Um, I mean, he talked about, I mean, that was today's press conference on Tuesday, like one said we're recording here on Tuesday, but Monday he talked about, you know, the biggest thing holding them back are the self self-inflicted issues, the penalties, the turnovers. Um, and he's saying that those things just aren't happening in practice when he was asked how to fix them, that they're not happening in practice, that they're turning to the game. I just don't know if that's something you could even buy. Are the guys just freezing up? Is that what he's expecting us to think? Frankly, I don't, I don't think that's a satisfactory answer at this point. I mean, it can't be. We're, we're talking about a Florida State team that's 0-3 at this point. And we're not just talking about 0-3. We didn't, we didn't see Florida State play Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson. We saw Florida State play a good Notre Dame team who is proving not to be as good as we may have imagined. Um, we saw them play a Jacksonville State team who is a solid FCS team. And we saw them play a Wake Forest team who's on their, I believe, seventh, eighth year with uh, Dave Clawson. But regardless of all those things, Florida State should not be having these sort of issues against these sort of teams. So where, 
you know, I think, I, honestly, John, I think this is a really good time to, for us to transition to the conversation on where, where this roster is and where we can really expect these coaches to move forward with because, um, and I'll, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to you in a moment here, but I think the biggest thing is, you know, there's a lot of players on this roster who you have some, some issues that are not, you know, going to be fixed. They're older players. Where do you think we go from here? Um, I think, so a lot of the Florida state fan base, um, they can be a little bit impatient. They're used to the success of Bobby Bowden and Jimbo Fisher. Um, and I think right now that's the exact opposite uh, thing of what's needed. This roster, because um, we looked at an article that was published on Monday on Tomac Nation, and we looked at the roster. Going back to Jimbo Fisher's uh, recruiting classes in 2016 and his last one in February 2017, um, those – it would be one thing if you had those recruiting classes and they, you know, they'd stuck around, they developed well, uh, those guys would be your super seniors or your redshirt senior leaders on this team. And those classes just got nuked. There's of the players that are left, um, you know, not that they're bad players, but you know, they're not going to be say like all conference or all Americans that, you know, you don't have that kind of uh, leadership. I don't think um, that you're kind of hoping for, and then you have Taggart's transition class when he was hired uh, for the 2018 class that was signed in uh, largely in December of, of 2017. And that class, the transition class was in the early signing period, also got nuked. Um, so between the three of them, the 2016, 17, and 2018 classes, who should be, you know, the leadership of this team, and these kinds of habits are passed down from, from class to class, those classes are gone. Florida State lost nearly half of each of those classes. Um, so that means that most of Florida State's uh, depth chart, their two deep, is made up of the 2019 and 2020 recruiting classes. And one of those is also a transition class. The 2020 class was Norvell's first, um, first recruiting class when he came to Tallahassee. So this roster is not in a good place. A lot of the older players that you have are supposed to be, you know, your leaders on the team, the, the best players that you got. A lot of them are backups, reserve players. Um, the, you know, the few stars that you do have aren't really performing the level that you would kind of hope that they would. Um, so that's kind of where the roster is right now. And there's, there's no, yes, there's coaching issues on this team. Uh, obviously, Um Plenty of issues, missing, uh, basic miscommunication issues, uh, you know, busting coverages, uh, this whole offensive identity issue that we've kind of discussed a little bit. But there's no quick fix for the roster. All you can do is recruit your way out of it, and that takes time. Uh, your thoughts, Juan? Yeah, so I, I guess sort of follow up on on that, and I really, like you said, you you, you wrote the article on Tomahawk Nation, and I would point everybody who's listening to go ahead and read that one. It is a uh, long form. It's what we call a John form because he reached out with pieces. No, but seriously, uh, if you if you get a chance, go ahead and read it. He did an excellent job. Um, but Thank so you. you have a lot of these older transition classes. Um, how many? And you know, I think one thing that you 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 didn't really quite mention is how many of these players that are playing. You know, if you look at like let's say the the 
the the first 44 players, the 2D, how many of those are from the super senior, the the COVID super senior and the super senior classes? What, three players? Yeah, something like three. And we're talking homegrown uh, super seniors, the ones that, you know, Florida State signed and have been with the program all these years. They do have some other super seniors. I think like Mackenzie Milton is one of them. I can't remember. Maybe, maybe Jerry and Jones might be one of them, but are the, are the super senior, like say transfers that you have, they're also not playing to kind of the level that maybe you were expecting. Yeah. And I think that's one of the really important things to look at is when, when, you know, Florida State shouldn't be, be losing 35, 14 to Wake Forest, but at the same time, that's a program where Dave Clawson is in his seventh grade year now doing the awful mesh that everyone who actually likes football hates. Um, but he has had success because he's had seven or eight years at that program. And now he's got those super seniors. And I think um, we had a conversation about it in our Slack chat, but like the amount of seniors or you know fourth fifth sixth year type players that Wake Forest had that Florida State you know played against it was upwards of 10 upwards of 15 upwards of 20 I don't recall the exact number but I mean it really just illustrates that this roster it's not that it's young because you know there's plenty of transfers it's more that it's 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 you, you don't have the experience in the program that you would like to. Um, I mean, if you look at like when Florida State, when Florida State really grew into a successful program, you always heard about the quarterback in their third year or later. Uh, I mean, Peter Tom Willis, um, you know, PT, all those guys, the, 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 the guys who were coming around in the late 80s and 90s. Danny Cannell, he didn't start until his junior year. Charlie Ward, he didn't start until his fourth year on campus. He was a backup punter when he first started. I mean, and I know that obviously it's a very different era. That was a 95 scholarship era, all that sort of stuff. But when you're not able to bring people in and bring them through the program for several years, it makes a big impact. And right now we're talking about like John has said in his article, you're talking about two transition classes that have been largely failures. And that's not a fault of the coaches themselves. Um, you know, it, it's, it's not a coach's fault. It's, it, it, it isn't even Willie Taggart's fault that he got hired 14 days before signing day or whatever it was. I mean, it is impossible for a coach to hold together a class two weeks before signing day. And the same goes for Mike Norvell. I mean, he he had, I believe, it was 11 days, Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, between when yep. he hired and when he signed his first early signing period class. John, you can speak to it better than I can. No, no, you're absolutely right. I, to that point, it's 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 the attrition that kills you. It's it's it, it's not having that leadership, that experience. So those players pass down the habits of what's expected of them year after year. And you lost all that. All those kids are gone. Um, and it was kind of a tumultuous, not very good time. You know, we talked a lot about, there's a whole article on ESPN written the other year about how deep of a hole Florida state was in and all the culture issues under Jimbo. So those players leaving, and you know, I know, I know Norvell comes in, he tries to set the expectations, but it's hard. And again, there's no way to 
to, and again, history tells us not just at Florida State, but transition classes in the early signing period all around college football ever since this, this started in, in uh, December 2017, they all get nuked too. So history tells us that um, Florida State could probably expect at least some attrition from Norvell's first transition class in 2020. And that's where a lot of your players are coming from this season. So there's a lot of issues here. And, and like you said, there's no, there's no quick fix. Yeah. He's bringing in a ton of transfers. I believe I wrote that. I think Norvell since he, since he came to Florida state has signed over 20 players to the transfer portal. He's probably going to have to keep trying to do that um, because, you know, like a guy like Jermaine Johnson, he's been fantastic. He's a success story. Maybe some of the other transfers that you brought in haven't been, you know, panned out quite as well. Um, but it's a substitute. It's a stopgap while you bring in the players that you just recruited all the way up through the four years. Yeah. And just to reset it for, for those listening, John's piece this week is uh, an opinion article. It's why basically firing Mike Norvell now will only set Florida state back even further. The only path forward is patience. Um, it's the kind of headline there. And, and a lot of it, I think John, and I don't want to put words in your mouth is that that attrition to the roster um, but, it, but obviously it has to go beyond that. It, it, it goes beyond, you know, uh, the record and, and into what they are currently building in a recruiting class. Plus, like you said, the, the culture going on. So what to you, I guess, is it just a roster build type situation? Or I'm sure finances have to play a role in this after you've, you've spent so much money buying in Taggart, then buying out Taggart. Um, what, what all kind of has you in that form? Right. Um, it's several factors. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of people do cite that the tiger got fired before the end of his second uh, season. I believe it was in November after, after the Miami game. Um, and, and I can't say that those people are necessarily wrong. I, see, this is the thing. This is going back to what we were talking about at the beginning with Jacksonville state almost causing an existential crisis. If you beat Jacksonville state, yeah, it's disappointing. You know, you lost the Wake force. We're talking about all the same things about the offensive identity issues and everything, but, but that's that. But the, the loss, in my opinion, to Jacksonville State changed almost everything. And now you can accurately say, I think Bomani Johnson said this on Twitter, that uh, Taggart did get fired for less. He didn't lose to an FCS team like, like Norvell did the other week. And But as unfair as it may be, you can't fire Norvell and, because you just can't. And you're right. One is, one is the roster needs time. Um, if two transition classes in three seasons have kind of really weighed down this roster and they have, how bad do you think three transition classes in five years is going to be? It's almost would be like a, a self-imposed death, death penalty at this point, based on what we know now you make, you could maybe argue too, that maybe Florida state's um, like quote unquote front office, their administration, maybe when they fire Taggart underestimated how bad or how difficult the transition is. class era would really be but again you also have the monetary thing like you talked about you have um you know they're still paying taggart's buyout i believe i heard it was something in the range of like three three and a half million dollars this year and now you're paying norvell and his entire staff you just gave guys like alex atkins offensive line coach a raise if you fire norvell that means you're bringing in a whole new coach with his he's going to bring in his whole staff and i don't know that I just don't know that the money's there. You, I don't know that it, they literally have the money to do something like that. No, John, I agree. I completely agree. I mean, I think one thing that you brought up in that article, and that's a really good point, is basically 
you're still paying Willie Taggart. You're still paying, I believe we're still paying um, uh, uh, Harlan Bennett, uh, Harlan Barnett, pardon me. Um, yeah, we're still paying multiple coaches from that staff. I think uh, Kendall Browse, I think he got a check this year. Um, before the season, of course, but still. I mean, you're talking about not only paying the current staff that you have, which is just 10 coaches on the field and all the, the graduate assistants behind them. And, of course, obviously Mike Norvell is 85% of what he's going to be getting over the entire duration of his contract, which I ended up calculating was roughly $16 million. So if you fire them today, you're talking easily a $20 million outlay in addition to the probably five to $7 million that you're paying for the previous staff already. So you're right. just get into, you know, a, a, a ridiculous hole or a debt trap of all these, these coaches that you're just continuously paying and paying and paying. And do you really want to do that? I mean, you know, I mean, your article really laid out very well that you don't, you can't financially do anything at this point. You, right. We're, we're stuck with Mike Norvell. I mean, for better or for worse. And I, I do think it's for better. I think he's turning over the roster fairly well. Um, there's a handful of those guys left, like we talked about, who are from previous coaches and that are starting to get processed out. We're just not at that point yet. I mean, and if, even if, you know, money were no object, I mean, you can't, you can't fire two coaches in four years and expect to hire anybody worth anything. I mean, what coach is going to come to four state that's going to say, okay, well, they fired two coaches in four years and have a terrible roster and they expect me to do something better than this. I mean, Brian, what do you think? You mean, you're, you're a relatively impartial observer as a, as an LSU guy. Um, sure. And I think part of it kind of in the same realm is I, I just to be clear, I haven't followed this program around the, the Taggart era. I mean, at that point, this program had fallen out of national perspective and it just wasn't something that I particularly was following that closely. And John, I think something that you brought up in here that, you know, I, I read that kind of stood out was Norvell and at Memphis was known for the teams being very well coached. You know, they, they were, they were obviously, I, I think, as you put it, they weren't Alabama, which who is, but they were well coached this team. It, it, and we pre heard the questions all, I guess this week, last week, are they, is this coaching staff in over its head? But I think that's the, that's the, that's the surface level of what the problem may be here. It's, it's, that could very well be it. They could be over their head. I don't know, but is it just, does he need more time to lay a foundation? I don't know, but then I think you have to consider what the expectation needs to be for this program and what's around it. Um, you know, I, when you look at, you guys can probably speak to both of this and, and John, I'll, I'll probably go to you first here, but when you look at what's around you, you're, you're the team in the panhandle of Florida, just to your North, you've got Auburn who's been great for 10 years, just to the side of it is the greatest dynasty in college football history that just keeps feeding itself with whatever, whatever it wants to build Georgia just up the road on the other side is just as good. I mean, Florida's had a pretty 
rough. I, I don't even want to call it rough because it really hasn't been that bad. They've been to a couple SEC championships in, in, in the last 10 years. And um, I just don't know. There needs to be a path out. Um, but I don't know if I see it any other way besides giving Norvell the time that you're talking about. And again, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he is over his head the same way Tiger was, but I don't, I don't see any other way out besides trying to let there be some form of build. That way, even if in four years he's not the guy, you can bring someone in with a base as opposed to just a mosh pit of misfit toys. I, I think in hindsight, if they had understood like how, how devastating these transition classes could be, maybe they would have given Tagger another, maybe a year or two, even though, the, you know, again, we, we I, like some of the art, things I touched on in the article, there are lots of rumors of rampant disorganization, all these other issues that the staff had. So I'm not going to say that his firing wasn't justified because it, by all accounts, it, it appears that it was. Um, but the difference between the two 10 years, is it a little unfair? Yeah, it might be, but, I think that they might have wanted in hindsight to spread out his transition classes between him and Norvell or, or whoever the second coach would have been, um, be, you know, in hindsight, seeing how damaging it was. But I think one of the issues, too, is Tagger was hired because his resume was likely built on um, rebuilding programs. Right. He'd done that a couple of times. That's what he got hired to do at Florida State. And when that obviously wasn't working and Florida State wasn't getting any better, uh, that became a real issue for him. At the same time, Norvell, that's not what his um, resume has been built on. He he took over a Memphis program that had been be rebuilt by Justin Fuente, who is the head coach at Virginia Tech. Um, Norvell took those teams that were winning like, you know, seven, eight, you know, six, seven, eight games and took them all the way to, I believe it was Memphis's first uh, conference championship game in the American Athletic Conference. So there's some issues here. You know, does Norvell have what it takes to rebuild Florida State? I don't know the answer to that question. Um, but we do have a lot of evidence on the books from his time at Memphis showing that he obviously knows how to coach. I remember when he first got hired before last season, uh, a lot of us at Tomlin Nation spent a lot of time looking at his film from his Memphis teams. And you could clearly see, I mean, those teams, it was shocking almost how uh, clean they were when they played in terms of their, you know, their being assignment sound and things like that. So that's one thing that's working in Norvell's favor. But like we talked about, there's just, you literally, you just can't, you can't fire him at this point in time. And so I think readjusting some of the expectations of the fan base could, could do a lot of good. Yeah. And I was just about to go to that next. I mean, when you consider what this year has already gotten off to as a start, just looking at this season um, to continually keep getting worse, I feel like there needs to be a readjustment of what, what the expectations are. I know the three of us kind of got together um, right after the Florida state game and we're talking and it was like, this team now moves towards the optimistic end of our expectations. And I think this time we've kind of fallen below the pessimistic end of the expectation um, I just don't know what to expect when it seems like they don't really have a plan. Juan, is there anything you can see on where this team can improve and what type of, of saving grace is even possible for the next nine games? Well, in a word, no. I mean, I don't know what to expect from this coaching staff. I don't know what to expect from this team. Um you know, they, the one thing I will say is that, you know, while they were extremely poor against Jacksonville State and they were extremely poor against Wake Forest 
and while they certainly didn't exhibit any level of quit against Notre Dame, you don't know what you're going to get in the next game. I mean, you, you really don't. And, you know, we had this conversation in a, in a podcast that I believe that was, that, that we, we, we released what, like two weeks ago at this point. Um, But it was, it was one of those things where is, you know, it, it, it turned almost into an, into an argument uh, between, you know, Tomahawk Nation editor Perry Kosovakis and I, like, you know, we, I, I kept going back to the point that I don't know what to expect. I mean, and he understandably was a bit frustrated because it makes for, for a bit of poor radio for us, just for, for me to continue to come back and say, this team is not going to give you something repeatable week after week. Um, but I mean, that's the truth. It's, it's, it's not something against Perry, obviously, but again, he's a friend of mine and a friend of yours and, and all that, but I don't know what to expect from this team week to week. I'm, I'm currently sitting in a hotel room looking out onto the, the, the river here in Tampa Bay where, where Tom Brady was uh, drunk as a skunk throwing, throwing the, uh, the, the, the water. Marty. Trophy or what is it? One uh, Acres the Lombardi Trophy. Sorry, sorry. Ryder Cup's coming up. I'm in golf mode at this point. But uh, oh, yeah, uh, Lombardi Rooksy. Trophy. Uh, he 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 was throwing it along this river here, and you know you're you're talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and you don't want to expect from him, even if he's not going to be on his game, he's not going to be awful. But I mean, what can you expect to see from Florida State week to week? after having a performance like they did against Notre Dame and then a performance like they did against Jacksonville state. And the frustrating part is, okay, Jacksonville state is literally the worst loss in Florida state history. And I've been at some pretty bad ones. I was at the Wake Forest 30 to zero game in 2006. I was at the blackout game where, where Boston college beat us in 2006. I've been at some really bad Florida state losses. But, I mean, I don't think I ever went into a Florida State game against an FCS team and even entertained the idea of a loss. So, you know, when we talk about revised expectations, what do we, what can we expect week to week, week to week? I mean, you've seen the highs and lows every week. So, I mean, I'm going to throw it to, to, to you, Brian, but, um, uh, you know, you're, you're a relatively impartial judge on this, but, like, what would you expect to see? Well, that's the thing. I, I, Perry and I sat here a, a week ago and talked about the Wake Forest game, and we both, which is the worst football analysis you could probably find, but said you have to have this one at least look competitive. You have to expect them to be in it. And against Wake Forest, you have to think they come through with it, and they were nowhere close. But that's not – I mean, that that's a fair analysis. Like, that's a team that Florida State – even though the even though Dave Clawson's in year, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, whatever it is now, um, yeah, he, he has a competitive Wake Forest program, but they do not have the talent that Florida State does. And I get – and I do understand they've got a bunch of super seniors. they got a bunch of fifth-year guys – 
They got a bunch of fourth and third year guys, and this is probably going to be the best weight team that Clawson has had. But this, the performance that they had against them, I mean, it, 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 it's, it, it is among the worst Florida State performances that I can recall. That's well, well and, and even looking ahead, I mean, being that one being what it was, the Jacksonville State game, yeah, and John, I'm going to come to you here on this one. I mean, you look at the rest of the schedule. Obviously, we have Louisville next. Syracuse after that, it's it's North Carolina on the road. UMass is the only out-of-conference game that who knows what we see there. The only thing that I would say before, before I let John go is, and I want to I throw this question to John, it's like, all right, we saw what this team can be week one. We saw what they can be poorly week two and week three. John, where do you expect this team to be against Syracuse? Where do you expect them to be against, you know, poor ACC opposition? Um, you're right. This doesn't make for good radio. I, I have absolutely no idea. Um, before the <laughs> but before the season, I said I my expectation was five wins. I hope for six. After Notre Dame, I wanted to bump it up to six to seven. Obviously, that's all they blew that. That's all gone. Um, I think we go back to, for me, it's the original expectation was, I just want to see improvement now. Um, obviously, Jacksonville, like you said, Jacksonville State's the worst loss in school history. It's it's inexcusable. It is rock bottom. There's nowhere else to go but up. And rock bottom doesn't mean that, you know, because they're 0-3, obviously they can be 0-6 or 1-10 or whatever the case may be. You know, even if they win three games this year, I still feel like they're going to be at rock bottom this year, unless we see significant improvement. And that's, and that's uh, the, you know, penalties, uh, personnel usage, fixing mis miscommunication um, effort levels, because you're right. What we saw against Jacksonville state, but also Wake Forest was also inexcusable. Um, and Brian, that was a good point too. I, I mean, after the worst loss in school history, objectively, you even if it didn't carry that kind of watershed moment that the 30 to nothing Wake Forest lost it in 2006, you had to show something. That again, the original goal of this season was to show progress, and you've regressed. Um, so, what do I expect them to do against Louisville and Syracuse? And and I mean, I, I expect to win against UMass. I, I probably shouldn't, um, but that's still they get a, that's still they get a bye week to prepare. So. Yeah, they're going to need it. Um, I can't believe I said that. No, the I, crucial bye week before UMass. I mean, before, if they had really bounced back against Wake Forest, I'd say, okay, yeah, they're definitely going to be competitive against Louisville too. But we haven't seen them be competitive. Um, we better spank I, I just, UMass. What's that? We better spank the hell out of UMass. Yeah, we should. I, I, we're all going to be sitting here again talking about how upset we are if they don't. Um so I know Louisville opened as a one-point favorite. I believe the line now is currently something like two and a half. I, I don't expect Florida State right now to keep this close. I, I will not expect any of that until they – I'm at the point now, I guess, to answer your question. I won't believe it until they actually show it to me. Um, I, I don't expect them to keep it within a score until they actually show me that they care enough and, and are capable of doing just that. Yeah, and I think more than anything, the only reason it might be a, a as low of a line as it was is Louisville's only game most people probably saw was was the opener against Ole Miss. That was a Monday night by itself Labor Day game where, I mean, quite frankly, I know I'm the SEC guy here, but Ole Miss looks 
good. That looks like a good football team. And that if, if they're legitimately good and we're measuring Florida State off of a Notre Dame team we don't think maybe is as good, I don't see how that falls that way. Um, my, my big fear is, especially you do this in a year where it seems like the ACC is almost wide open with the mistakes they've got or with the, with the issues all across the board. Even Clemson is – I mean, that Clemson-Georgia Tech game was awful this weekend. It just – when I look at the schedule, I can only put down one win, and even then – I, being UMass, it feels. Can I really put it down? Can I really buy them doing that? And I think that's a very fair point. I mean, you know, we 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 understandably between the three of us have very little confidence in what this team can do throughout the rest of the year. Um, and so I'm I'm going to throw it back at back you, Brian, before you throw it to John. Is I mean. How many wins do you think this team can get? Honestly, one. One. I mean, one. It's because to me, you're not beating Louisville this week. I just don't believe it from what we saw just a week ago. I don't. I don't. I don't believe it at all. They came out to Wake Forest in a game that I thought, if you're the coaching staff, you were going to come in and spend every minute, which I know coaches are crazy and probably did it anyway, but there was no way you could show up and get spanked by Wake Forest. And you weren't competitive. They, they doubled you in time of possession. You've gotten progressively worse. I, I don't see how you can show up against a Syracuse, a Notre Dame, a Clemson, an NC State, a Miami. I mean, Boston College, you lost their quarterback? Maybe. Maybe two. You're not beating Florida. You're not going into Gainesville and winning. You're just not. Um, right. Well, because their identity, at least early in the season against Notre Dame, seemed to be, you know, run the ball. Because like we said, Travis came out as the start of the season. You run the ball and you and they've been better at defending the run. So you run the ball, stop the run. But now it's like, you know, Travis, Travis we think might be hurt a little bit. Um, Milton's taken over as a starter. I just don't think the offense with Milton the way it is right now, it works. And I think, I think every time he comes out as a starter – and it may not even necessarily be his fault. It's it's a lot of it's the talent around him, and, and again the the offensive identity issues and execution and, and self inflicted mistakes. I don't think that offense will be competitive against almost every single team on the roster. I think that it's really unfortunate that Travis is not healthy. I think if he was healthy, you could go back to what we talked about: more run heavy attack using uh, Corbin and Ward. And because look, look, last year when they played Louisville, I believe if I remember correctly, they put up like 260, 265 yards rushing against Louisville at like 6.6 yards per carry. And I know they still got blown out, but, but you had that. If you could add to that, their ability to stop the run this, this year, you might have a chance. Um, but if you put Milton out there and try to run a passing offense that just isn't there, it's the same thing, almost like what happened at Wake Forest. You just, you put your defense on the field so much that whatever you are getting from them, they just get worn out. I think, I think Wake Forest had over 50 carries in that game last week. Uh, it's just not a recipe for winning football. So, John, I'm going to actually throw this one back to you because, because Brian sort of gave us a number. Give me a number. Um, what, is this Florida I, what is this Florida State team going to do this year? What is your – I mean, I, and I'm not going to hold you to a particular number. Give me a range on the number of wins you think this Florida State team gets. Okay, I feel more comfortable with that. I, <laughs> I feel confident saying they are not going to go winless. I don't think that's going to happen. I would put their range at one to three. 
um, based on what we've seen through three weeks. And Brian, I'm going to throw that one back to you because you you had to give sort of a one based on the way I asked that. What would you throw for this Florida State team as a range of points? I, I almost feel like it has to. Requ- it's going to require someone else showing up and being worse to them. I think it's the same range. I I think it's. I, I'd go so far as to say zero to three. I'd go to zero because I mean I don't even I don't I'm not even going to sit here and pretend like I know anything about UMass. But if you're going to come out and beat yourself every single week, at, at what point do you just just see a team mail it in? Unfortunately, it's a very fair fair conversation, a very fair thing to say. Um, I'm going to actually go ahead and say one to four. Um, and this is, I mean. I can't believe I'm even saying that particular range, given the conversations we had for this year, before this season. Um, but the the absolute limit of what I'm willing to accept from this coaching staff is not beating Walt Bell and his absolute crap UMass team. Like that is one of the worst. That is one of the worst FBS programs we've seen in quite some time um he may not even be in the umass job by the time Florida state plays umass but yeah no i mean it's one to four i mean this team does not have a a path to five wins this team doesn't it's a very difficult path to four let alone three Uh, i know we've talked about it before the the path to to that you, you could say in the first two games, you know, at least it's out of conference. You haven't had a conference game yet. And, and well, now you do. And you got smacked, John. Yeah. Sorry. The, uh, I both the chances of bowl game, you can't lose a Jacksonville state this season and make a bowl game. So that's long gone. Um, I, I, I mean, I think one, I am still going to say one to three, I think four might be reasonable. Um, but if you're talking about four wins and we've got, what did you say, nine games left? They're kind of running out of time to start showing improvement so we could think that something like that. But like you like you guys mentioned earlier, the ACC is not good this year. I had written a couple months ago a preview of Clemson, and it's kind of aged pretty well. Uh, they're having a lot of significant issues as well. So I think the conference as a whole, which is kind of weird, you know, you have a COVID with all these super seniors and everything, uh, you know, kind of setting records with returning production all across college football and especially the ACC. So for the league to appear to be as down as it is this year, it's kind of shocking. And, and uh, it kind of feels like maybe a missed opportunity. Uh, what do you think, Juan? Yeah, I think that's really one of the most frustrating parts about it is that, like we came out of that first Labor Day weekend. You know, I was, I was at the game. John was at the game. Um, and we saw Florida State play one of their best games in, shoot, four or five years and and they really weren't able to you know they didn't come away with a win but they they I think what was really exciting about it and what was really frustrating about what we've seen since really is that you 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 saw Florida State play competitively but more than just play competitively they came back I mean they they fought back and they you know they they were down Florida State was down in that game. I mean, we were at, uh, at a certain point down 18, and you ended up seeing that Florida State team roar back to the point where, you know, we got the overtime, obviously, with Notre Dame, and, you know, when you miss a kick, and and then at that point, when you miss a kick in overtime, the game's over. It's That's pretty much it. But Florida State looked like a team that could compete with, you know, any team in the ACC, 
And then the last two weeks, you've seen them look like they are not even competitive with an FCS team. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, they, they were competitive with that team before they gave up that ridiculous touchdown to the end of the game. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's just – it's frustrating. I mean, there's the, – you, I, I, you know, you could be at a loss for words and talk about how poor that was, but it's just this Florida State team has given you the highest of highs that you would expect from the roster – and then below the lowest of our <laughs> roster. Right. I think that's what's you're right. And it is so frustrating because now I feel like what's changed in Notre Dame uh, to your point is I don't know that that ceiling that we saw against Notre Dame is even there anymore. We it's disappeared. We haven't seen anything close to it since then, but the floor is very much real. Um, and it, and it's rock bottom. And that's, I, I think that's where all the we lost all the confidence came from. Is is now you can almost expect or you know that they're extremely capable of playing at a very poor level. Um, but where is that that level that we saw against Notre Dame? And they've shuffled a lot of the players since then. Um, you know they've changed up the depth chart a little bit. So is that even are they even capable of that anymore? I just don't know. Maybe that's where you need that bye week to really reset everything. I mean, that, that, that gives you a chance to go in, reevaluate every single position, start over from scratch. And, and you, you guys talked about it, you come out with UMass and maybe you just get a chance to regroup, reset and start it over. But between now and then you've got three weeks in a row, ACC games starts this Saturday against Louisville, three thirty kickoff ESPN two. Of course, we'll have you covered leading up to and through game days. Keep it tuned to Tomahawk nation seminal wrap. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.